After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festivals of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, Where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Well, good morning, everyone, again. Um, I think I know everyone, but my name is Flick, if we haven't met before. Uh, welcome to church, if you're here for the first time. Um, I wonder whether you're visiting or whether you're a regular here. I wonder what your expectations are today about this service. Um, obviously, you might have expectations about the service that are good expectations or bad expectations. Hopefully, we'll meet the good ones and not the bad ones. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, it's worth thinking about what are our expectations when we come into church on a Sunday? Obviously, you expect to come and to see some people you know, probably, to have a cuppa with some friends, uh, probably to have a bit of a sing, to hear something preached about. But have you come expecting to hear God speak to you? To show you love? To draw you into the work that God is doing? to refresh you with the Holy Spirit. What are your expectations this morning about church and about God? And I want you to take a moment uh, to actually stop and to think about this. So I'm going to give you some time just to think, what are my expectations here right now? The reason that I think it's important to recognise what our expectations are is because expectations are powerful. They shape our receptiveness and they influence our beliefs. This is, I think, um, kind of the basis of the placebo effect that you may have heard about, that idea that people go into a treatment and they have expectations about that treatment and even though the actual medication that they're being given has no capacity to do anything for them because of their expectations, and their belief, they end up healed. Expectations can be really powerful. And in the reading that we've heard today, what we see is that Jesus' brothers have certain expectations about God, and it's those expectations that have made them unwilling to accept Jesus' claims. And the passage tells it that they're not the only ones. So in verse 5 it says, even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. And so later in that passage we read in verse 12, we see that people are divided over Jesus. Some say he is a good man and others say, no, he deceives the people. 
Because prior to this, as we've been hearing, if you've been here over the last few weeks, Jesus has been going around and he's been teaching and he's been doing amazing works, but he's also been claiming to be God's Messiah. So he is claiming to be the one that God has promised to send, who is going to save Israel, who will restore their relationship to God, and then through Israel, who is going to save the whole world. And that salvation is a salvation from their brokenness and ultimately from death. So Jesus is claiming to be God's long-awaited representative. But he hasn't met everybody's expectations. And this is because, as we've also heard in the past few weeks, Jesus' teachings were hard to accept. And because his teachings were hard to accept, many people had stopped following him and had chosen to walk away. So then when we read today's passage, we hear that his teachings have put people offside so much that the Jewish leaders are going to try and kill him. Clearly, he has not met the expectations of those Jewish leaders. So this is what we're going to consider now. When we look at Jesus, as he's described here in chapter 7, do we see someone who matches our expectations of God's representative? What do we expect one who represents God to be and to do? Because if our expectations about God don't match Jesus, then we're going to have a hard time trying to follow him. Well, the first thing, if you look at your uh, passage, the first thing that we read is that Jesus is teaching in Galilee because he doesn't want to go to Judea because the Jewish leaders are going to try and kill him. So it looks like Jesus is afraid of the Jewish leaders. But is fear a quality that you would expect to see in someone who has God's authority and power? Uh, One of my nephews stayed with me last week. He is 12. It was a pleasure to have him. And we ended up reading Asterix and Obelix comics. Does anybody know Asterix and Obelix? Yep, good. Um, When you read Asterix and Obelix, you recognise that they are, uh, compared to the DC and Marvel heroes, they're not typical-looking heroes, are they? But the thing that they have in common, Asterix and Obelix, who drink this potion and get real strong, the thing that they have in common with the DC and Marvel comic heroes is that they are not afraid to face their enemies. That is a common trait amongst superheroes, isn't it? They're not fearful. It's not a, not a word that you would use uh, to depict someone that you expect to be powerful. And yet, in this passage, Jesus appears to be afraid of the leaders. So does this match your expectations about someone who represents God? Well, then we keep reading and we see this strange interaction between Jesus and his brothers. They say to Jesus, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then Jesus has this strange conversation where he says, it's not my time, I'm not going to go, and then he goes anyway. The thing is, for the brothers, their expectation about Jesus is not unreasonable, or it doesn't seem unreasonable. Uh, In verse 11, you see that the Jewish leaders are also expecting Jesus to turn up. They say, where is he? So there is this idea that somebody who is doing these amazing works will go to this festival that's happening in Judea. And if we think about someone that wants to become a political figure or not a political, any type of um, public figure, but, you know, at the moment it's kind of relevant to think about a political figure, what would our expectations be about how they would go about it? 
We kind of expect them to work to maximise their impact, don't they? So they might uh, go around to all the major towns and uh, try and gather people to themselves. They will make themselves look as appealing as they can. They might go on tour, throw parties, draw people to themselves. They'll turn up at those events that are happening where they know lots of people are going to be. They will gather impressive people to themselves, powerful people. Uh, they will have speechwriters to carefully craft what they're going to say in order to try and win people over to their point of view. In general, they go around buttering people up. They shake hands and they smile. Uh, they present themselves as family people and as people with integrity, or at least that's kind of what we hope public leaders will do. But what do we see Jesus doing? Does he go to the festival where the crowds will be? In the past few weeks, we've seen that Jesus has actually been going around in the backwater towns and hanging out on hillsides in the country. And we have been told here that he is reluctant to go to Judea. But also, is he seeking out the powerful people in society? Well, no, he's hanging out with the sick and the sinful and the unpopular misfits. In fact, as we've said, he's getting all the leaders offside. And he's also, in the past, been saying things that have been putting people off following him, like telling them that they should eat him, which uh, we know is not a literal thing. But even then, it's the sort of thing that you would get a speechwriter fired for, right? Like, you would not expect that to be the thing. Oh, how am I going to, like, sell myself to people? Oh, tell them to eat me. It just doesn't make sense. So yeah, Jesus doesn't seem to be doing things that seem particularly sensible if you're trying to make yourself a known figure. And then we've seen in this passage that Jesus actually separates himself from his family, from his brothers. He tells them one thing and then he does the complete opposite. So he isn't playing the family man like you might expect someone to do if they're wanting to present themselves well. He says he's not gonna to go to the festival with them and then he does go, but he goes secretly. And even though there are crowds and crowds of people at this Festival of Tabernacles, it's one of the major Jewish festivals, he doesn't go and then present himself to people. He goes and he hides. So it doesn't seem like Jesus is seeking social or political power. He doesn't seem to care about his popularity very much. He's not trying to get alongside the Jewish religious leaders or even trying to associate with the spiritually clean people. Jesus isn't doing things that seem in line with the Jewish expectations about God. And so again, does he match your expectations about somebody who represents God? What we're seeing in John and what we see from Jesus' brothers is that he doesn't seem uh, to be presenting as a very convincing leader. But the question that we need to ask ourselves then is what should we expect of God's representative? And the one thing that we should expect, which is a blatantly obvious answer, is that we should expect God's representative to represent God. And I think even though that's obvious, it's something that we can misunderstand, or we can forget. So the explanation that Jesus seems to offer his brothers is in verse 6. It says, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. And what he's saying is, I'm not operating on your agenda I'm operating on God's agenda. And this is important for us to hold on to because if we accept Jesus' claims about being God's Messiah, that is, if we accept that he is the one who God has sent to save us and to save the world, 
then we will also choose to follow God's agenda and not the world's agenda. So then uh, we need to think about what the difference might be. What is the difference between the world's agenda and God's agenda? And the short answer is, uh, when we look at the passage, that the world's agenda is evil, but God's agenda is good. In verse 7, we see that the reason that Jesus can't go to the festival is, in his words, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. So in Jesus' words, the world's agenda is evil. But I'm not sure that this idea sits very well with most of us. And I don't think it sits that well with us because actually most of us like the world. We think it's pretty sweet. And when we call something evil, that just seems really harsh. And so like the idea that we say, oh, the world is evil, just doesn't really seem to match our own experience, our own reality. Having said that, we know that there are lots of bad things that happen in the world. And so I think it's a language that's being used that is um, hyperbolic. That's a bad word to use. Uh, it's like extreme language that's being used. And in our setting in history, we don't like absolutes. We like relativity. Like we like the wriggle room that that gives us. But actually, we can understand evil to mean something different. So, for example, when I hear the word evil, my head, my mind, automatically goes to things like psychopaths and massacres and corruption and slavery, um, all those kind of types of extreme oppression and um, demon possession and all of those things that are kind of depicted in movies. Like evil has a really extreme connotation attached to it. And those things are definitely evil. So I think a lot of us tend to kind of put evil on one end of a spectrum and then it sort of goes evil, bad, good, perfect at the other end. And so when we think about the world and what the world is doing or how it functions or the things that are happening, we'd kind of plonk them somewhere on that spectrum, not just one end or the other. We'd say, oh, yeah, that was a bad thing. Oh, that was an all right thing. That was a good thing. And so we have this kind of spectrum vision of what the world looks like. But God's perspective is more, or what's depicted in the Bible, is more that actually evil is anything that falls outside of God's perfect intended order. So either we're in the Garden of Eden or we're not. Either we're living in the freedom of God's kingdom or we're not. And so this is either we're in God's perfected place or we're in an evil place. That is how that language is kind of being used. And the assumption that I think a lot of us have is that there is more to life than just the physical and material. And so there is this idea that we're living in a spiritual state, that we have something that's going on that's both physical and spiritual, and that the devil does have power in the world. And so at this point in history that we've read about today in John's Gospel, Jesus is saying, my time is not yet here. I haven't yet overcome the power of evil, the devil in the world. And so he is right to say that the works of the world are evil. And surely this is a good thing for God's representative to do, to see evil in the world and to speak against it. But we see that this also leads the world to hate Jesus. And so for us, we need to think about this because there is still a consequence for us as well. They say that people living in glass houses shouldn't throw stones and we're living in the world, so if the world is our home and the world is evil in some sense, then uh, there is a cost to starting to call that out. 
Calling the world evil while you live in it is kind of like throwing the stone in the glass house. And so to follow God's agenda instead of the world's agenda is not always the easy choice, but it is a perfectly good choice. Jesus might not look like a typical leader. He might not look exactly like we expect God's representative to look. He does some very curious things, things that we will not always understand. But what we can hold on to is that we, when we look at Jesus, we get glimpses of God's good intentions and good plan for the world. Jesus' brothers tell him to go to Judea. And they tell him to do this because they want the disciples there to see the works that Jesus is doing. Even though they haven't accepted that he is who he claims to be, they have seen what Jesus is doing and they are impressed by his works. Jesus has amazing power. If you look back in John before this, there are all these instances where you see these amazing things that Jesus can do. He can walk on water. That means he has power over natural events and uh, like he could, you know, click his fingers and the bushfires would be out. Like Jesus has amazing power. He can feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That is like an instant end to poverty and famine. This is the power that he contains. And not only can he end famine and poverty, but Jesus can turn water into wine. So Jesus can bring the party. This isn't just all like, oh, only if it's necessary. Jesus can do things that are actually like amazing and joyful. Jesus has shown that he can heal sickness in an instant. He can look at a person and know the brokenness in their relationships both with other people and with God. And Jesus doesn't judge them or shame them. Instead, he forgives them and he offers them a new start. And all of these amazing things that Jesus can do, alongside those, he's not going around and big-noting himself or saying that he should be given all the glory and you know, clothed in gold and robes. Instead, as he goes around and offers new life to people, He breaks this curse of death in their lives and ultimately he gives himself up, his own life, to do this. If this is God's representative and this is God's agenda for the world, it's a pretty good one. Jesus is the person who bears God's image most perfectly. And what we can see Jesus doing with these people in John gives us a glimpse of what Jesus has the capacity to do for us and in the world still. Because God's agenda is an eternal agenda, which means that it applies to us and it applies to everybody in all of the history of the world for all time. The other thing that I think is wonderful is that God's uh, intention to break the curse of death is not just physical, as we said, but it's also in every aspect of our lives. So, yep, Jesus did bring life by physically healing and feeding people. But we also can see that he heals the isolation and brokenness in people's lives. Um, And I think in our culture, this is something that is really good news. So if we believe in Jesus, if we accept his claims, then it is a good thing for us to pursue the same agenda that he did, God's good agenda. And so how are we to do this? What will it look like for us? 
Well, if you were here last week, um, Beck did speak about the change of perspective that comes once you've accepted that Jesus is who he claims to be. You have this aha moment, like Peter did, and you kind of go, oh, yep, Jesus is Lord and God. I will follow him. And she talked about the fact that when you do that, your perspective opens up to include eternity. So Jesus isn't worried about getting to the festival on time in order to make a big splash because actually like what seems slow to his brothers in God's timing is perfectly timed. And I, um, I hope this is something that you can relate to. I have certainly had my aha moment with Jesus. I have uh, been a Christian for a long time and I have called him my Lord and my God for a long time. And yet quite recently I've been made aware again uh, that I still have major trouble accepting God's timing in my life. So one of the big expectations that I have uh, around God transforming those parts of my life is in those areas that feel like they're scarred and that might be um, emotional scarring or other things, but like there are areas of our life, I'm hoping I'm not the only one that feels like there are things I would like to see improved in their life. And I do believe that if God is a God who says he can transform us and give us newness and fullness of life, then it's reasonable to expect that those things will change. Because having those scars in us does restrict our freedom, and God is a God who brings freedom. So I have been praying for healing in some sense for a very long time. For some of those things, I've probably been praying for 15 years. And I think that there would be people here who have been praying for transformation in their lives or in the world for more than that. We, we desire to see God transforming the world around us. And because my expectations for this transformation have not yet been met, I can find myself asking the question, where is he? Where is God in my life? it can seem like God is not acting in my life or like God just doesn't care about me individually. God's plan is too big and my life is too insignificant. But when I remind myself that God has an eternal plan, the pressure that I feel in the moment fades. It doesn't mean that it's not there at all, but it helps me to gain a different perspective again about what is going on in my life. Because I do believe that God has promised people eternity. I believe that we will be resurrected bodily. And so it means that whether it is tomorrow or in 10 years or when Jesus returns, we have eternity to live as whole and healed people. Having an eternal perspective does shape Jesus' sense of timing. That is what we've seen in the passage in chapter 7. And if we believe in Jesus and the promises that he has made, then it will shape ours as well. Another way that we can follow God's agenda uh, is by surrendering our own expectations of what is good to take on God's expectations about what is good. So we saw that Jesus' brothers thought that it was good for him to go and put himself in the spotlight and to seek power and glory. But actually, so often in the Gospels, what we see is that Jesus is humbling himself, not seeking his own glory. He's associating with people that make him look bad. He isn't trying to convince people that he should be put on a throne anywhere in the world. And he is particular in seeing evil and calling it out. So the idea is that our expectations sometimes need readjusting. We can get into a space where we're functioning in our own agenda, where we think this is what is good and this is how I'm going to get to that point of goodness. 
But sometimes we need to step back and actually think, well, like the way that Jesus went about doing things doesn't look exactly like the normal progression and maybe I need to submit my own expectations to God's expectations of what is good. But I do think it means that we will call out evil where we see it, whether that's in our workplace or our government or even in our own lives, that we will recognise evil for what it is and we will reject it because it's not from God. And as we learn to follow Jesus, then we will also learn not to be put off by the consequences of doing so because there will be consequences of calling out evil. The world will not always like that and we will have to stand against that sometimes and face opposition But if we do hold on to that eternal perspective that we've been given through knowing that we will have eternal life with God, then it it helps us to remember that God is always with us and that God is powerful and that the hardship that we might have to face now is going to fade in light of our eternal lives. And a final way that we can follow Jesus and God's agenda is by shifting our expectations about what it looks like to be a new and transformed person. So I think often for us, we work on this assumption that to be transformed and to become more Christ-like means that we're going to be stronger and better than we think we are now. And there is some truth in that idea. But I think often we assume that our scars and our weaknesses are bad. But what we see when we look at Jesus and walk in his footsteps is that it is through weakness that God chooses to break the curse of death. It is through weakness that God chooses to bring new life. Following Jesus means accepting that actually God is at work in our weakness and when things don't seem to be shifting, when it feels like it's too slow, God is actually still at work in those times and God is bringing new life in those times. And even though we cannot always understand the sense in that, we can hold on to the fact that Jesus shows us that this doesn't mean that God isn't at work. Um, that we can trust that God is powerful to work and bring new life through those weak moments, through our weak times and through that process. So whether you are frustrated in the place that you are in or very content in the space of life that you are in, um, I want you to hold on to the idea that actually God sees you and he knows you and he loves you just as you are right now and that actually you are exactly where God intends you to be in God's good agenda. If you believe in Jesus and follow him, then there is an idea that might be helpful to hold on to that today is the start of eternity for you. So you might be 36 and looking at another 35 or 40 or 50 years of life on earth, but actually like life is going to continue for a lot longer. And if today is the start of eternity, then that is a very long time for God's goodness to reach every corner of your life, whether that is your mind or your body your work, your relationships, or the world. And so hopefully that will be an idea that encourages you. And so I'm going to pray to finish. And I'm going to pray that if you feel like you've been following the world's agenda and you would like to follow God's agenda, then you can pray with me silently as well. And hopefully you'll be encouraged that God's timing is good timing, even though it doesn't always make sense to us. So let me pray for us. God of creation and of all that is good, We thank you for your eternal plan. We thank you that although we still feel the effects of the curse of death, and although the devil still seems to have power in our lives and in the world, you have sent Jesus as your representative to save us and to bring new life. We are sorry that we continue to contribute to the evil in the world. Thank you that Jesus has come to show your ways and that through his weakness, he has brought us new life.
Help us to keep an eternal perspective, to trust your timing, to accept that by your Holy Spirit you are at work in our weakness, and to call out evil. Remind us that we are exactly where you intend us to be in your good plan, and give us grace and patience to accept it. We accept your gift of life and love, and pray all these things in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.